afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of We're Gonna Need a Bigger Show. This week we are covering the Chattanooga Film Festival, uh, and we're going to leave for that in the morning, but we're doing a few interviews today for guests who really have kind of a jam-packed schedule, um, so we're doing some early interviews. Today I am joined by Joe Lynch. Joe, how are you doing today? Great. How are you, Mike? Man, I am great. I am so excited about this festival. We were talking just a few minutes ago, and uh, yeah, it's really shaping up to be something special this year. Yeah, I um, I was just talk- telling you before that uh, my editor, Josh uh, Ethier, who, uh, as horror fans would know, uh, is the editor slash star of uh, such movies as Almost Human and The Mind's Eye. And um, we worked together on Mayhem, <clears throat> and he uh, he kept talking about how great this this festival was, and there are so many festivals out there now that you, sometimes you just you can't tell the difference between them. Or right. you know, there's just there's a lot out there. And Josh kept saying like how how much this felt like Fantastic Fest, and both of us had really kind of fallen in love with the, the Fantastic Fest sure, crowd sure, and sure. Uh, the programming and just the attitude behind it. That it's more than just show up to you know to see these films that you might not see elsewhere. And that's it. You know, there's more programming to it. And when I saw, when I talked to Chris, the uh, the organizer for Chattanooga, and he was explaining some of the stuff that he had done earlier and is doing this year, I was like, sign me up, you know, for whatever. <laughs> and that was originally just for doing um, a retrospective, like it's the 10th anniversary of both Hatchet and Long Term 2, which right. is absolutely nuts. <laughs> so the fact that we're showing those again 10 years later, it's going to be both humbling and, uh, well, Gonna make me feel very old, and then, um, and then we also, you know, we figured out like there, there's a good chance that we can make uh, the movie crypt happen. Sure, we've yeah. done movie crypt live a couple times, and it's gone great. And you know, especially when you have a, a festival crowd or a genre festival crowd, like that, that's our peoples, you know. So it, it it just felt like a it kind of made sense to if you're gonna both have us there, then fuck, let's push record on this thing. <laughs> and, uh, and and then at the last minute was also oh by the way we can also show mayhem so so Incredible. for anybody who hate, hates who hates me I would say steer clear <laughs> of the Chattanooga Film Festival on at, at least all day Saturday because. I'll be uh, I'll be running full tail boogie with Adam Green from like two p.m. until eleven, which is really incredible. I mean, this is again we were talking about it. This is just such a a wonderful festival, and Chris Chris Dorch, uh, you know, one of the uh, organizers of the festival, uh, or the organizer of the festival rather. He's just I mean he's really put together something special, and um, yeah, I mean it's definitely one of those festivals that if I have to choose every year, it's, it's the one that I always try to get to. Um, and like you said, I mean, you've got a, you've got a really jam packed schedule while you're there. Um, and we're going to get to everything, but let's back up. And, uh, I just wanted to talk about a little bit about, as we do with all of our guests, what were kind of your early, uh, film exposures and influence and how did you really start to first, you know, uh, develop your love of film? Oh my God. Um, well, my my first movie, I, I've said this before ad nauseum. So, uh, sure. but my first movie was Dawn, Dawn of the Dead, okay. and that was when I was two. Uh, <laughs> my mom couldn't find a babysitter, and I remember I clearly remember seeing it too. She'll she'll deny it, but I I totally remember seeing it. But my my mom was a big horror movie fan, a big genre movie fan, so I was exposed really early on to a lot of these movies. But what she had done 
was to kind of buffer a lot of the, the, the oncoming nightmares and all the night terrors that, that were probably, you know, imminent. And they were there. Sure. Um, she would get me Fangoria magazine and show me like, okay, so this is how, this is how the sausage is made, so to speak. Sometimes literally if it was like Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Um, but you know, she, she exposed me to kind of movie magic. And obviously I was a little kid growing up in the late seventies, early eighties. So of course I was obsessed with Star Wars and Spielberg and, um, and, and all those movies that were, Petering the line between like family entertainment and adult entertainment, like those those guys just knew how to like almost subvert the kind of adultness of movies, but kind of hide it in the guise of like an Indiana Jones movie or a sci-fi film. Sure. Um, so I was just just obsessed with horror and genre and sci-fi, and for for a long time I wanted to be either a makeup effects artist or I wanted to be an actor. So essentially I wanted to be Tom Savini. Um, <laughs> You know, look, I want to kill zombies and, you know, and make them too. This is, this is the greatest, you know, job anyone could have. Right. <laughs> and I was, I was like, you know, doing, I was studying on, you know, I was using Grand Illusion, the book, uh, and Tom Savini's, you know, uh, books and Screen Greats Volume 1. You know, I was trying to learn as much as possible and even doing it, you know. I would do some of these things, you know, the... There's, there's a gag in Martin where uh, he slices down a girl's arm, and that's really very easily achieved by shaving down a razor blade to so where it's dull and putting one of those ear suckers in your hand filled with blood. Yeah, and running that little right, tube up looks, the razor. Yeah, it, looks, it, looks, it looks great. So I right. would do that to my mom, and she would just be like, oh, Joey, you're crazy. <laughs> um, but I was always like always completely obsessed with movies forever. Um, you know, My family would go to the movies all the time. So I was just kind of so ensconced in the movie world that it kind of just felt like <laughs> like a forlorn conclusion sure that i would be in movies you know at all and then uh and then i saw the remake of the blob and i went oh my god like wait so the director gets to do the make like gets to work with the makeup team and the actors and the cinematographer and the musicians and like everything yeah i want to do that because i saw how much that movie the day the day that i saw it on, on on screen opening day how much the audience was completely Seduced sure. by all the all the choices that the that the director made as a storyteller, and then from there, you know, from '88 on, I was obsessed with every director. You know, like what they did, what they didn't do. Like I knew who John Landis was, and what you know, and and Steven Spielberg, and uh, Joe Dante, and you know, Brian De Palma, and William Friedkin. I knew who all these guys were, and then obviously, you know, like in the early '90s, it, it became like I knew who Tarantino was, and who Steven right. Soderbergh was, and um, it was all just an, an, edu an education, and I and I took all of this information and kind of started making my own stuff as a way to emulate those directors. Like, let me see if I can do it. Yeah, I only have a VHS camera and two VCRs that are put together. <laughs> but the, the, but that was that was my incubating period. You know, like I would actually one of the things that I that really got me excited about just the end result of what it takes to make, you know, whether it's a movie or a short or a music video or anything creative using visuals and sound, what I would do is I'd make these like mashups where I would take a scene from say, Lethal Weapon 2 or, uh, or the LSD scene from uh, Hardware or the, uh, the, the train scene from um, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Right. And I would put different music on them. So for the, the scene in Lethal Weapon 2 when uh, Riggs, uh, no, when Murtaugh pulls the um, 
No, no, it's it's, it's Martin Rings when he pulls the the house down. Uh-huh. I put I put fucking hostile from uh, Pantera on there, <laughs> or for the Lucy Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, I would take that song and put it under the LSD theme from Hardware, and I'd Shit. make all these like little mashups, and I'd bring them to parties because. I didn't have anyone to talk to. I was the nerd who would like movies, so no one would really talk to me. But if I brought a video over, and it would be these like these various scenes with new music to them, and show like, oh, you know what? If you take the end scene from uh, Mad Max and put Tribe Called Quest's scenario underneath it, it cuts together fantastically Absolutely. well. <laughs> and you know, I would sit there and pause, record, pause, record, but it really worked. And seeing the reaction out of people, like they were really into it, and like going like so so something i did at home you know manipulating visuals and sound made people excited and like laugh or or go like yeah like at a party and then actually talk to me after and and like we would start striking up conversations about movies because i was doing something with those movies so it was just really infectious and knowing that i there's there's a way that i could use storytelling in this medium I, I was just, I was completely hooked. So from then on, I, I knew really early on that I knew that I wanted to make movies, but that like that early nineties mashing up kind of exercise made me go, okay, I definitely want to get into movies. And at the time, the only way to do movies, you know, in Long Island or in, in New York was, um, you know, like with film school, I couldn't, I didn't have access to film cameras. And at the time it was, you were actually shooting on film. You weren't shooting on, you know, digital video or video or any of that stuff. Sure. Um, I, I I went like, all right, what's what's my what's the best route that I can take? And film school at the time felt like it was the best course of action. Uh, and, and really, the only reason why I went at first was I just want the equipment. You know, like yeah, like we can talk film theory for days, and I love that shit. <laughs> but I'm really I I'm I'm there to grab that fucking camera and start shooting. What was great about Syracuse University was that that was their curriculum. They'd go, here's, here's a camera, you buy the film, here's a camera, here's a light, go out and make something. It'll probably suck, and we'll tell you how much it sucks, but you'll learn from that, and you'll keep making stuff. Right. So it, was, it, it just felt like it was all just a very natural progression to go from A to B to C to D. So, well, that's, so to kind of touch on that a little bit more, one of uh, your fellow presenters at the, the festival this year, uh, Mark Covino, who did the really incredible documentary, A Band Called Death, and who has his new film, The Crest. Oh, my God. I love that fucking documentary. <laughs> he's, a, he's a hell of a guy and a hell of a filmmaker. Um, he actually asked, he said, I'm from the, the same part of Long Island as Joe, so I kind of already know this story, uh, but it's one that needs to be heard whenever possible. What steps did he take from working at 112 Video to making his first feature film? Uh, so... Oh my god, <laughs> that's hilarious! Oh my god. Well, all right. Well, well, I I like many film geeks when growing up in the late eighties or early nineties, whatever, or even into the nineties, where you heard the legend of Quentin Tarantino and and Roger Avery, how they worked at video archives, and sure. ended up not having to go to film school or just not going to film school and saying fuck the world, let's let's go punk rock and let's just start making shit, writing shit, and getting stuff done. It was really inspiring, you know, to hear like, okay, so a bunch of video clips made good, you know, and they made those movies, right? Like, holy shit! So, I was in I was in college at the time, and one twelve video, just for context, one twelve video. I you know I don't know what it's like in Tennessee, but in New York and L.A., <clears throat> especially now, like when when there was 
or at least back then when blockbuster video was really like the Netflix of the time. It was just it was sucking up everything in terms of you know music video or home video distribution and rentals and stuff to where like a lot of the mom and pop stores were going away. Right. And that was really, really unfortunate. But there was this one store run by this guy named Fred who was essentially like a, a video hoarder. Like he would just collect these videos for years in the 80s and then decided to open up his own video store because he had all these like rare movies and hard to find things. And and it was like in Long, for Long Islanders, it was the place that you drove an hour away just to go get like an, you know an early copy of an old old um, you know Fastbender movie, right? Or an old you know an old Japanese movie, or like a Shui Hawk film, um, or Necromantic Two, or something like. You just find these like really obscure movies, but then you know then they would sell um, like new releases in, as well. So I had worked at a Blockbuster one summer from school just because it was the only video store job that was around that I could get. And if you, you worked at 112 Video, the, the, the common legend or knowledge was that you had to be a girl. Like, for some reason, Fred did not hire guys at all. He only hired women. Um, and that, I'll let Fred talk about why he, he made that decision. But, uh, <laughs> one, one summer, I came home, and I went, fuck it. I'm just going to try. They're looking for someone. And I went in there, and I go, look, I... I know every movie in this place. I'm a customer, but I also can, I can push all those old movies. You know, it's like, you know that German flick, violent shit? I swear to God, I will rent that. <laughs> and the guy's like, okay, if you, if you say so. And you know what? First week I was there, I fucking rented violent shit. <laughs> I felt terrible because there's this old woman who was just like, what is this movie? I'm like, trust me, lady, you're going to love it. And, uh, and, and she, you know, she, she came back with some words. Sure. Um, not enough shit. I think that was her quote. There's not enough shit. There's a lot of violence, but not, not enough pooping. Um, but that, that experience for me was so amazing because I got to, like, I had this library of movies at my fingertips, and I had a Laserdisc disc player at the time, and it was one of the few places in town that rented Laserdiscs. Sure. So I would rent Laserdiscs, and I would, uh, actually, sh don't tell anybody this, but I would videotape all of the, because I would have my VHS uh, recorder hooked up to my Laserdisc player, so I would record all of these movies over the summer in SLP, and I would have, by the end of the summer, I would have about 40 VHS tapes <laughs> with about 90 movies, and I would bring them back to Syracuse, and I would be the library for all my friends who were like, oh my God, have you ever heard this, you know, uh, this, this, this guy, Werner Herzog? Or, did you ever see Lone Wolf and Cub? You know, or, did you ever see Assault on Precinct 13? Well, guess what? Joe Lynch had him. So everybody would come to Joe's, uh, like, uh, dorm room. And would kind of quote unquote rent these movies and you know for free because I wanted people to see these movies that I was talking about. Right. So just that that experience of having 112 video be like my film school because I would see all these movies that I would never have seen you know before uh, was was like so important and and really like 112 video being able to communicate with other people about movies like using movies as. Uh, Kind of like a, the great bridge for conversation. Sure. Because I'm I'm very socially awkward. I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to say at any <laughs> given moment, and usually I'm just like off in the corner, just kind of talking to myself. Uh, but 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 when you use like, oh man, have you ever seen Battle Royale? And immediately, if they have, like you know that you're going to have a conversation for at least a good half an hour. Sure. You know? And that's important, you know. So 
Yeah, 112 video was was integral for me because I and I got to meet a lot of like you know upcoming filmmakers and just who were just like me, you know, using sure. that that facility. What's funny is that like Charlie Rose would come in all the time because <laughs> that was that was the place where he would get his videos to do the research before he would have an interview. Wow. So Charlie Rose would just like breeze in and you know rent Billy Madison on Laserdisc. I'd be like. <laughs> That's incredible. It was, uh, it was great, and, and that's the thing that, that sucks about the the death of the video store in a way. Because essentially, when you go on Hulu or Amazon or Netflix or Shutter, it's like it's all there. So, right. like, what's the point in going? But well, you the, lose that communication. You you lose that camaraderie between people, and you lose the you know the conversation. You, like, and I think that that's so important because. You know, of course, everybody's going in and going like, "Do you have screen two? Right. And and I would mode more times than not say no because it was out, or I go screen two, really. But <laughs> have you ever seen the Prowler? And I would go on for an hour about the Prowler, right. and they go, "Oh, that sounds interesting." And then they come back and go, "Oh my god, I can't believe I would have never watched that movie otherwise." That's so. So wild. it was a learning experience for everybody, and but it was a great connector between people too well it, it and several of the things you just said i mean it's kind of interesting i mean the the death of physical media and you know vhs no longer being a thing and you know when i was grow, i grew up in connecticut so i mean there was a video store in every corner and you know i kind of had the same film education of of you know recutting vhs and and you know that kind of thing and it just seems like the way that the the next generation of 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 film enthusiasts and filmmakers it's just kind going to be kind of a completely different experience um well we're gonna, we're dealing with you know, upcoming filmmakers who you know are are maybe not as attuned to the 90 minute to 2 hour format right. you know in telling a story or what what's funny is that for the longest time up until Netflix started really upping their server speed i kept thinking like there's going to be a whole generation of of people who uh, are, are watching these movies and know that the first five minutes are going to be in low res until the thing speeds up and gets into HD. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's just aesthetically it's it's changing. It's evolving. People like we grew up, this, you know, in the same gen, you know, or at least you know, coming off of the same gen, two last two generations that grew up in the the real heyday of cinema Absolutely. and the heyday of ninety minutes to two hours to two and a half hour movies, not the the same generation that's now where you're dealing with movies that are being told in 10 hours or, right. or, you know, over the span of two or three seasons or even six hours, you know, in certain cases. So it, it's, it's interesting to see, or, or you know, on the, the complete flip side, filmmakers who are only known or, or know only how to make a movie in 10 minutes, right. you know, or 15 minutes yeah. or three minutes, you know, based on, you know, how many hits I can get if I have a three minute movie on YouTube. You know, so it's it's definitely evolving, and, I, and I'm just hoping that we don't lose the, the the model of cinema because, I mean, cinema is, at this point has now become the new short story. Sure. You know, whereas, you know, and, and TV is now the novel, um, and and it, there's always a place for short stories, and there's always a place for novels. It's just I hope that we don't lose the, the art form of what a, a good short story is, right? you know, which technically is a feature with, you know, with two hours, as opposed to what, you know, uh, what a novel would be, you know, eight hours, 10 hours, if it was uh, a bingeable movie, so to speak on, sure. on Netflix. Um, so we don't have a ton of time left, um, but I did want to, you know, I, we're going to jump ahead just a little bit. Um, 
So I'll keep going. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the th- one of the things you're going to be presenting at the festival, which is pretty wild, you and Adam both have a, a 10th anniversary retrospective uh, this year with uh, Hatchet and Wrong Turn Two. Um, Wrong Turn Two is is you know kind of special in as much as you know you you you're getting the opportunity uh, with with you know what isn't a franchise yet, but you know the the first was was pretty successful. What what is that like for you? You know, kind of as a first time feature filmmaker to be like, okay, what am I going to do differently? What am I going to do to set myself apart from what this already is? That I, that was the exact question that I got when I was in Tokyo shooting drift racing uh, for G4 at the time when my friend Luke, uh, who ended up becoming my uh, manager and my producing partner, who was working as an assistant at the time at Anonymous, texted me from L.A., and this was, you know, 17 hours ahead, so he was texting me at me in the afternoon, and I was getting it, like, the next day at 6 in the morning. And he said, you know, do you know Long Turn? And I remember going, yeah, I was one of the guys that saw it when everyone else was watching Finding Nemo that weekend, <laughs> you know, in, in L.A., it was like three people there, but you know, but it, the movie did well enough, obviously, for Fox to commission a sequel. So, I, they sent me the script, and the first thing I thought of was like, how am I going to make this my own thing? And I remember um, when <coughs> when the first uh, Wrong Turn came out, and Rob Schmidt, the director, had said that you know the first Wrong Turn was his homage to the '70s movies like Deliverance and Cannibal Holocaust. Sure, and in, take, in, in that model, I went, well, you know, and then I read the script and I went, you know, there's a, there's a really good chance that we could take the same basic formula that the Aliens movies took, where the first film is very much a, a scary movie. It's a, it, you know, it's, a, it's a haunted house movie. It's a monster movie. It's a sci-fi movie, all squished into one. But it's a, it's a straight-up horror movie, whereas with Aliens, as scary and thrilling as that movie can be, it's an action movie. It's a sci-fi movie. It's you know, it's it's a lighter touch. Absolutely. And it's definitely a product of, of its director, but it still feels like it's in the same wheelhouse as the you know the alien mythos, so to speak, that Ridley had set up. So that was my approach going in, where I said, you know, where if the first long turn is alien, I want to make this aliens, and. <laughs> I had been wanting to make features my entire life, you know, sure. like since I was sitting in that theater watching the blob. So I went, look, this is probably my, my only shot. Who knows? You know, like if, if I never get another shot, I might as well just go for broke here. And I kept pushing that idea in that I wanted to make it very clear to them. I, you know, I, if, if we're, if we're making this movie, then I want to be able to go for broke and, Knowing that at the time, you know, the uh, the direct video market was really hinging on the idea of doing um, uh, unrated movies. Right. You know, thanks to uh, The Hilt of Eyes, when that came out unrated, that kind of opened the floodgates for everyone to go, well, fuck it. You know, like we can, if if unrated is going to sell more units, then go unrated. You know, even if sure. you're direct video, like we're going to be unrated anyway because the MPAA is not going to likely touch this thing. So go for it. So I kept pushing that and saying, like, we got to go bigger. We got, or at least we got to go crazier with the gore. Like we have to push the limits of it to the point where it almost becomes something akin to, you know, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four or Evil Dead Two or Reanimator, where it's a celebration of splatter. Absolutely. And there was a lighter touch to it. There was more humor to it. So I said, like, this is my love letter to the '80s. And they, and all they said, they kept saying this over and over again. When I was like pushing the visual idea and the thematic idea, they're like. 
just make your days. Just just stay on budget. Right. That's all. Like I, uh, one of the executives at Fox told me straight up to my face, not not a confrontational sort of way, because he said, "Look, I can spray diarrhea in a in a DVD box and put this on the DV, on the on Blockbuster shelf, and it will sell units based on the title. Right. That's it. So whatever you do, just make sure that you you know like come in on your you know come in on time and come in on budget. Make sure you don't do anything that's going to be too offensive, sure. but and then I would call up and say like, "Hey, is it cool if I put a vegan in a uh, in a dog cage during the ending scene?" And they just went, "Well, are you going to make your day? Well, fucking do it, you know. Like, we're going to be unrated, so if you have to cut shit out, cut shit out." Right. Um, and and then lo and behold, the movie did far beyond what anybody expected at all, and obviously kicked off the franchise in in a, in a way that no one saw coming. Um, but I think that it needed to it needed to evolve from the first movie only because then I think it, people would know from say like the third movie on that you never quite knew what you were going to expect tonally and visually because it really kind of comes down to who's making it, the filmmakers that are making it and each long-term film, or at least, you know, the first to the second to the third and then onward, you know, very much like the aliens movies would be indicative of the storyteller behind the scenes. You sure. know, like it's very clear what Fincher was doing with alien three and it's very clear what, um, uh, what what's his name from uh, Amelie uh, Jean-Pierre Jeannot oh, yeah, did Jeanneau. with the fourth yeah. one. You know, it's like they're all very distinct in their filmmaking visions. So that's really the goal that I wanted to make was I want this to be both connected to the original film, you know, story-wise. That's the reason why Wayne Robson is in the movie. He wasn't going to be in the, in the original film. And I was like, you've got to have the old guy from the beginning because you have to have some kind of connection. And, you know, and originally there were going to be three new mutants that weren't going to be the, the, the original guys. I'm like, you at least have to have three fingers. Like, right. he's, he's, we can make him into our Freddy if you, if you have him in this, and then we can just kind of keep bringing him back over and over again. So, so and, you know, it was just, it was, it was important to kind of establish that, you know, it was stuck in continuous story, but have its own voice at the same time. Absolutely. And like you said, I mean, you know, kind of thanks to you, it, it has become a, a franchise. I mean, do you feel any sort of ownership as like, have you kept up with the franchise? And, you know, I mean, is it one of those things where you look at it and, you know, you wonder what you would have done moving forward? Um, well, what's funny is that Dave Parker, uh, I don't know if you, uh, do you know Dave Parker, uh, uh, great filmmaker who did, uh, the dead hate the living, but oh, did, sure. uh, yeah, the, yeah, Hills, yeah. the Hills run red, which I love the Hills run. Red. Oh good yeah. The, the baby face mask. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. He's fucking killer. He's awesome. Killer. Um, killer. He, uh, uh, he did, just did this movie called cold water. He's got some cool shit coming up. Um, he and I, since we were just both fans of, of all these movies and everything, he and I kind of came up with this idea of doing something that was a bit of an homage to something more like uh, Assault on Precinct 13 for the third one, where, you know, Three Finger would get uh, abducted in the beginning and these cops would bring him back to the sheriff's office and then the family goes after them <laughs> to kind of do a reversal on, on what, what's been done before. Sure. And, uh, and, and, you know, like had a solid pitch and everything. And then Fox went, yeah, no, this is good. Can you do it for a third of the budget? And oh, I think wow. the times were the times were changing in a way where I think money was going down in the DVD market, so they were not looking to spend nearly as much as we had on the the second long term. And I just went like, I don't want to put myself in a position, especially this being my second film. I don't want to put myself in a position that I'm setting myself up to fail. 
So right. I just I, I politely I politely stepped aside and said good luck, you know. Um, and then obviously the, you know they brought in Brendan O'Brien and he kind of took it from there. And uh, and yeah, I've I've caught up with all the movies and I I think the, the biggest problem with with those movies and you know, I'm not knocking anybody is just the amount of money to put into something that where each sequel fans are looking to kind of go up in expectation. They Absolutely. want to see more, bigger, bloodier, you know. And the, unfortunately, I think it, it it just makes it harder on the filmmakers to try to do that because they're given you know a third of the budget from the last one and then a third of the budget from that one. I think you know by the time that they're you know to the latest installment, it's probably going to be you know fifty bucks and you know and some <laughs> craft service uh, chicken wings that they're going to use for the flesh. Sure. And, and it's a shame because like I get asked all the time, would you ever go back to the to the franchise? And you know what? I mean, this sounds so you know, pompous or whatever, but it's like, yeah, if the price is right. Like right, they're, they're sure. willing to put the money towards the production and make, and make it feel like it's not something that was made for nothing. And absolutely. I would love to, right. there's still more stories to tell in that realm, but it just, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to deliver something to the fans that it's going to be below their expectations. Sure. Uh, so you and Adam, you know, kind of had two, pretty different films i mean you're you know yours is kind of doing this well in, in as much as uh you know one is a sequel the other being you know a slasher film but they're both kind of these great 80s throwbacks almost um is and you're kind of on the scene at the same time is this when you two start to work together and start to know each other yeah we um a guy named spooky dan uh who's like kind of one one of the uh ambassadors of horror oh, in LA. Sure. Like he just knows, he just knows everybody. He's a filmmaker himself. <coughs> he would have these kind of, uh, backyard screenings at his house and all, you know, filmmakers and, and, uh, um, internet guys, all of us together would just kind of, and just like friends of the scene, we'd all get together and we'd just like kind of watch these movies. And it was the first time that I saw, um, uh, Behind the Mask, the Leslie Vernon uh, film. Sure. It's the first time that I saw Isolation, um, Severance, that movie Severance I oh, saw for the man. first time there. I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie, right? You know, so you know, we're watching fun movies, and then we would watch an old movie after. But um, we ended up showing uh, Hatchet one night, and it was the first time that I was heard of Hatchet. I knew who Adam Green was through Fangoria and through the internet and stuff. Um, and I and I remember like we were watching these, we were watching hatchet and i never met adam before but I, there was like two sides of the the audience and it was like one side of, like over by me and i'm cracking jokes but not like in an insulting sort of sure. way and then on the other side there's another guy who's cracking jokes and I'm like who the fuck is that guy why is he like he's, he's encroaching on my decree so i'm like i gotta i gotta go sit with that guy so we ended up like afterwards we just ended up chatting up a con like just having a conversation and then next and then we just became slowly became, kind of became buddies but then it was going to fight fest that year where both um where long term two actually played actually adam saw long term two at one of those screenings loved it and then ended up uh telling uh telling the fight fest guys like oh you should play long term two which sure. was so that like that was awesome of him to do uh and then we ended up taking the same flight and we just kind of fell into a bit of a bromance, you know, ever since when we were out there in, in London, just kind of chatting it up and hanging out and bonding. Well, you uh, and, and we've been tight ever since. You two have created, you know, something really special together just in your friendship and just you, the two of you together have brought together so many horror fans and so many genre fans and film fans. I mean, just kind of across the board. And you've been able to do that, uh, 
to a great extent with your, your podcast, the movie crypt, uh, which, you know, you're going to be doing a live version of at the festival this weekend. Um, you've had so many guests who share incredible stories and, you know, just some, there's a, a lot of inspiration for young filmmakers, um, which really resonated with me, you know, as a listener, um, just to, you know, I mean, everybody seemed to come from a lot of similar backgrounds, but one of the things that really resonated with me, um, is just a lot of people who have come from substance abuse and just how they've overcome that. And that really helped me. I'm actually just two years sober myself. Um, so thank you so much. Um, and just like, you know, your show really helped with that, uh, especially the addiction episode. I mean, that just really resonated with me. Um, and I yeah, just, the response we the response we got from that episode was unbelievable. Like from former addicts to people who were dealing with you know issues as we speak, and we all go through that. Absolutely. Sort of thing. And, and I mean, that was kind of the whole point of the show from the beginning because originally it was just going to be us just promoting Halston, but then the more and more we had people in, and we were just so conversational with people, and we're trying to be as open as possible ourselves. It just kind of evolved into this kind of Hollywood therapy in a way that where people can just kind of air their grievances or not, you know, like it's it's an open phone. It's just a conversation. Sure. But more times than not, it just kind of evolves or devolves into a bit of a confessional or or just something where we get into the kind of seedier, darker or more honest side of the of the business. And there's nothing better than to hear people that we admire or we respect or that we look up to. And then they, you hear that they have it hard too. Yes, it, it puts things into into perspective in a great way. Absolutely, and that's that's such a you know that's such a big part of it. I mean, you know, there were nights I was working at a donut shop and I was in the back by myself and I would just put you know the the show on over the loudspeaker, and it's like you know I'm working towards my own career, my own filmmaking, and it's like just to hear that so many people have had it the exact same way, dude. There is just something like really incredible about that and it just helps you it's to powerful. keep going it's, it's, it's because for the longest time we all thought that filmmakers and actors and actresses and artists and all these people that we look up to and that we you know we're inspired by they have perfect lives sure and that everything is is roses and peaches and it all everything comes up no house every day for everybody <laughs> right and that's so not the fucking case absolutely like, it's just not you know like we're all struggling like we're we're everybody's struggling but it's those who can kind of pers- like persist and push past that. Especially like as long as they're honest with their uh, with their passions, and that's really what they want to do. And sure. you know, they're not just looking to make a quick buck or be famous, or whatever. And you want to really just express with your art. It's all worth it. It's it's worth this, the trials and the tribulations. You just have to find outlets to be able to work through that. Absolutely. And also hearing hearing that other people go through it too. It just it. It brings us all together, and and it makes things a little less hard when you know you're not alone. Sure, and that's you know it's it's really incredible, and I'm really looking forward to the to the live show this weekend. Um, but just kind of you know wrapping up a little bit, uh, you know your new film Mayhem is going to be showing, and I'm I could not be more excited to see this film. <laughs> um, oh, thanks, man. Thank I, you. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about the genesis of that, and you know just how it came to be. Cause I remember, you know, you tar- talking about it early on, on the show and just, there was a little bit of secrecy kind of surrounding what you were working on. Uh, and that was just really exciting to hear. And then when it was finally announced, it was like, hell yeah, this is, this is going to be a blast. So yeah. Could you talk just well, a little bit about that? Yeah. It's funny that we talked about like the trials and tribulations because, you know, after, after Everly, 
I was working like three three day jobs in a way just to make ends meet, you know, sure. um, because all the money had run out and <clears throat> and I and we were broke and I have a family and I just I got to work, you know. So I was working three jobs, including a corporate gig, and not very happy, you know, just right. just kind of eking eking away, just kind of make ends meet and trying to bide my time until the next project or one of the things that I'm working on kind of gets off the ground. So I was in a in a bad way, and along comes Matthias' script that was essentially what I was going through uh, while I was at this one corporate gig, uh, to 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 a degree. Right. <laughs> um, but I but I immediately I immediately latched on to what what the voice of the the movie was. I just knew it. it I knew it immediately. So, uh, so I went into Circle of Confusion, who was producing the film, and uh, and then laid it all out. I think it was very much like a confessional in my own way, and uh, and they they caught into that, and then we were off to the races. I mean, it, it took about a year to get the thing off the ground. Uh, from the moment that I went into, I love the script to the time that we went, we got the money. But in that time, that was I was able to work on the script with Matthias, and we were getting into a getting into a finely you know uh, tuned place. And then, just like every every single time, it's always like the, out of the blue. You get that phone call where it's like, "We got some money. We gotta go now." <laughs> and that's and it was you know three weeks later. Uh, I'm I'm off to Serbia shooting this movie. So sure. it's 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 such a hard situation to be in because as an artist, you just don't know where your next gig is coming from, or you don't know where your next opportunity is going to come. You know, unless you're making it yourself and. But even if you're making those yourself, you don't know what's going to work or not. So, you know, Mayhem came along at the right time, and unbeknownst to me, not that I thought that this was going to be at first, you know, in, in, in a selfish sort of way, I was like, it's another gig, fuck it, you know, it's an, you know. But more and more, the more that I worked on it from the time that I first read the script until the time that we shot, and even into shooting when I was working with Steven and Samara and all the great people that worked on it, I found that it was it, it, incredibly cathartic to that point in my life where I was stuck and I was stuck working in a, in a very confined organization and in a very confined space. And I knew that my passions were, you know, were bigger than that. And that is directly reflected in the movie. When you see the movie, you're going to see how sure there is a, there is a, a very fine line before, or there's a, there's a, there's a fight. There's a, there's a, uh, what's the word? Um, there is a, an opposition okay. between corporate, corporate and artist that, uh, that, that you, when you watch the movie, you'll completely get where I'm coming from, Absolutely. but to be, to be able to put that on screen and in a story that I know people are going to relate to was, was so essential for me. And I, I was really excited. And, but up until the point where we showed it, you know, a couple of weeks ago at South by, I didn't know if it was working or not because I was just so close to it. Sure. So it was it was a it was a happy surprise to see that everyone at uh, South by really liked the movie and and now I get to show it to other people which is great. That's that's really incredible. Yeah, that was a, my my next question. I mean, what was it like? You know, that that first audience like seeing it with and I mean those are the those are people who you know that's those are your people. You know, I mean those are the people well, you want was, that festival it, it audience. Was and it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't because up at like for that first screening, because this is the first movie that I have where I didn't have a distributor already lined up. You know? Okay. When we did Everly, we already had uh, distribution and I had long turn two, obviously it had distribution and we don't talk about nights of bad Aston, but that's sure. another story. Uh, Chilorama had distribution. All of them, you know, they all had stuff going on here. This was where the buyers were going to be and the media was going to be there. And, you know, and, 
investor, like a, a lot of the business side of people, like of, of the audience was going to be at this first screening. Gotcha. And, uh, and you know, so I was terrified because it's like it could, everything could be made, like all of my work for the last two years could be made or broken on this night. So right. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself, which maybe I didn't need to, but still, like when you know that it's kind of all or nothing in these situations, you just, you, you put a lot of pressure on yourself. Sure. And I mean, to the point where like I showed my wife the movie the night before I left. And I, and again, like I had been frame fucking this thing for six months doing the color <laughs> and the visual effects. So I hated it at that point. I was just so as, sick of it. As it happens every it. time. <laughs> and I started, yeah, dude, I, like it happens every time. But in this one, I, we went through an, uh, a rigorous color and visual effects process. Sure. And if I told you how many visual effects shots in the movie were there, you'd think I'd be talking about a Transformers movie, you know. <laughs> and it's all very deliberate. It wasn't like cleanup. It was very deliberate stuff. I don't want to give away now, but but I was done with the movie. I was just so sick of it. And my wife started watching it, and I started having a panic attack. Like I, I literally like went into like I went into a fetal position. She's like, "Are you fucking crazy? The movie's great. I loved it." And I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> but and, and you know you and, and when we were talking about it with the uh, the sales company and with the producers and everything, they were tempering expectations. Like just so you know, it's a midnight show, and it's also play, premiering on the night that the music festival starts. So. Don't expect to sell out. Sure. So I'm like, oh, great. What a bummer. Like, fuck, man. What are we going to do? So I land in Austin on Saturday, and I get a text immediately saying movie sold out. So I'm like, yes. That's oh, awesome. shit. <laughs> but, but, and, but then the, now the pressure's on even more. Right. So everything up until that, that moment where the movie starts was both a blur but also, like, laser-focused on panic because it, it's like, again, like, every – Every moment could be my last. And then the, I, I will tell you this, like, I don't know if you've ever been to the Alamo draft house, but like they have this thing where, you know, it's, you can eat and drink right. at the movie. Absolutely. So I was like, my, my stomach was in a knot. I couldn't, I couldn't hold anything down. I was just a total mess. And then the first laugh or the first moment that the audience, and, and it's an incredibly violent moment too. So the fact that the audience laughed as hard as they did at that moment, I seriously, it felt like a thousand pounds went off of my shoulders That's at that incredible. moment because I, I, I remember saying, even when, when we were in the first cut, I go, if the audience laughs during this scene, then I know that I have them, or right. at least I have them for a bit. And when that audience laughed, when they reacted when they did, I remember going like, okay, get me a pitcher of beer. Let <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so much better now. And, and the screening, went, the screening went, went so much better than I thought, even for a crowd that you know, it's usually buyers and media and stuff like that. It, 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 they laughed and reacted like it was a bunch of fucking fanboys. That's and then awesome. immediately the, the sale, the sales company's like, well, just to let you know that, you know, like that means that, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday's screening will likely not be as sold out and, and, you know, it won't be as big a response. Well, it was sold out and capacity crowds Tuesday and Wednesday and then Friday as well, you know, so it was Killer. so much better than it was so much better than I expected. And the word of mouth was out. And and the real fans were now coming to the Tuesday and Wednesday, and they were fucking losing it. Like it was, it really could not have gone better. So it's all for for me. It feels like it's all downhill from here. Although <laughs> it's not downhill when you talk about the Chattanooga Film Festival, because I feel like we're still on this kind of precipice of like, yay, we're going to a festival where the audience will embrace, hopefully, embrace this movie. And not stick their nose up like, oh, I thought this was, oh no, uh, you know, <laughs> remains of the day. You know, or, 
like, is this is this the latest Cumberbatch film? No, it's it's not at all. No, this uh, this uh, this audience that... is your audience. I mean, this is a. Uh... It's it's interesting because we have you know I'm closer to to Nashville than I am to Chattanooga and um, the Ch- the Nashville Film Festival is exactly that thing you were describing of you know everybody has their nose up and there's just so much pomp and circumstance and then you go to a place like the Chattanooga Festival and it's just uh, just a blast from start to finish so well that's what that's what I hope that the audience gets out of this like I made a movie that was fun and a blast like sometimes that's considered a bad word you're not allowed to make like. <laughs> A fun movie these days, either it has to be an important film or it has to be like a punishing emotional experience or something that's just like a chore to sit through. But you hear it totally extreme and you want to be able to sit through it and say that you did like an endurance test, like you get a badge of honor. No, I wanted (laughs) I wanted the audience to go on a roller coaster ride. And and that's like I I guess not a bad thing to do. I like I sometimes when like for even for festivals, sometimes it's, it's considered like a it's looked down on to make a fun movie. But I say, fuck it. You know, like, if you're going to go to a festival, like, you're going to probably see enough depressing shit and intense shit and extreme shit. Sit back, relax, and go on this roller coaster ride with us. I, 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 I think you're going to have a good time. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so much. I, I cannot wait for the for the screening of Mayhem and for the the podcast and for everything. I mean, it's just going to be it's going to be a great weekend. Uh, so yeah, man, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. This is oh no problem, Mike. When, you, when you're out there, please say say hi. And is, is this running before the festival uh, plays? Uh, this will actually probably run during like within the next week. So all right. Well, if anyone listens to this and they're listening to it as the festival's going on. Please come down and hang out. We'll be there all Saturday. On Sunday, there is a reading of summer school uh, that Adam and I will be a part of. I'm not allowed to say who, like, what we're doing there or who we're playing, but I think you'll get what we're doing when we're reading summer school, who we're going to play. I think but I might I have a few ideas. <laughs> I think you probably have a hint. Uh, and if you weren't there, you missed the time of uh, the time of a lifetime. Um, but yeah, like, come on down. It's going to be a blast, and, uh, and we hope to see you there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joe, and everybody. We uh, will be bringing you a lot of uh, Chattanooga Film Festival coverage over the next week, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. We're going to need a big show. We're going to need a bigger